All right, this is the Big Kid Show. I want to welcome in each and every one of you wonderful people. And of course, we thank you for stopping by to kick it, even if it's just for a little bit with us here today. And boy, do we have a very special show for all of you. That's right, because we have a guest with us here in the treehouse today. And ladies and gentlemen, that that guest He is a fine bass player himself. He is the one and the only, the captain. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much. Welcome. Honor to be here. Now, also with us today, of course, we have two of your favorites, two members of the Big Kid Elite. And yes, I'm talking about Mr. B and Maniac Mark. Welcome, gentlemen. (laughs) I'm feeling crazy today. That's right. Thank you, everyone. We welcome and appreciate your applause. Hello, gentlemen. Today is going to be a fun one, and that's because today, boys and girls, we will be playing top three. Another nice applause. Now, back in the day, in olden times, by this we are talking about the 70s, when there was a score to settle, when there was a wrong that needed to be made right. There was, and still remains to this very day, only one true way of sorting things out to decide who is wrong and who is right. And that is a good old-fashioned base-off. Base-off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, that's more of a competition. Today, we will be doing a little more of a sharing exercise as we will be... All of your favorite big kids will be presenting our top three favorite bass players of all time. Now, we all know the bass player. Typically, he is the tall guy in the band with the big hands, and no doubt he's the best looking of the band members. Or maybe your favorite bass player is a lady. Well, then we know she is usually the most talented one in the band. And to explain bass players in a much more scientific way, I tell this story. A wise man once explained to me that a band is like a cup. And the base is the bottom of that cup. Now, all parts of that cup are important, but without the bottom, the base, the cup holds no water. And with that That out of the way, we begin to play. We will go one round at a time in the ever popular three, two, one fashion. And remember, big kids listening at home, none of us know each other's answers. So we are all experiencing this crazy strangeness collectively. All right, riders up. Yours truly, Big Nick. I will be hosting today, as you have already figured out. And we will go Mr. B first. Second will be Mark. Then our most welcome of guests, the captain. And I will bring up the rear. So with all of that, let's present our top three bass players of all time. Mr. B, you are up first, my friend. Who? is your number three beautiful intro and cheers to everyone listening and cheers to the captain for joining quite excited so my first bass player which was one that i even purposely wanted to not pick him i like was the the (laughs) big research team yeah i was like no i'm not gonna do that and it still boiled down to this so i'm gonna go with a young man named michael peter balzeri also known as mike b the flea also, the flea, flea, <laughs> and so I listened to all kinds of stuff this week. I was like, you know what? I don't know if I want to pick Flea. He's a great bass player, but is he in my top three? Hell yeah, he is. He's my third pick, <laughs> and I love his bass lines. They, I mean, whether they be technical or not, they just stick. And I love the way they're presented in so many of the different Chili Pepper albums. 
And what I need to tell everyone to do is listen to all their albums from the 80s. Those albums are badass. Most people didn't even listen to them until uh, Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic. But they had four albums that came out in the 80s. Um, I just love how the the bass kind of drives the song, but then it settles back down, um, cuts through, it grooves, it's funky. Um, I don't even know what to say. It's just, it's Flea, man. One of the cool things about Flea is he doesn't like to repeat parts, so his verse one part might be different from verse two part. Yeah, little variations on the parts. And and that's why I think it's, it's tough to, like, cover... Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, it, all those guys are super talented, you know, but yeah, that's a good point, Captain. I didn't think about that. He's got a little variety as it goes through the song. Plus, he was a fine actor in Back to the Future 2 and 3 and The Big Lebowski. So yeah, I mean, that, gave, that gave him a couple bonus points. But <laughs> I just, Dude, you I, forgot about Point Break. Point Break, and he was in The Chase, too. And he was head of small role in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So um, He played a lot of, uh, Hollywood superstar. He right. played Needles in Back to the Future. Nailed Needles. It. He was he that was, was my favorite. McFly's boss. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I love so uh, Mr. B is known to play a little bit of bass. He's slightly above average, but uh Flea also was played a music man Stingray Five, which is one of the bases I own. So I I feel like we're basically best friends because of that. So we're gonna need you to pull that bass out right now, Mr. B, and uh, let's drop some flea bass lines. I, I would love to. I'm unprepared. It's all the way in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> excuses, excuses. It's in its case. Yeah, so, and it's, yeah, there's a lock there's on my- it. <laughs> yeah, I can't get to it. Somebody changed the, the lock on me. It's in the safe. Some people keep guns in safes. So I keep my bass in the safe. So yeah, for, the, for that bass, it's probably worth it. But little fun fact I didn't know. So I don't know if you guys knew, uh, flea was actually born in Australia. What? Yeah, did not know that. And uh, uh, born uh, in '62 in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, um, hmm. which I thought was quite interesting. And you guys want to know how he got the nickname Flea? Captain might know this, but um, let on us do tell. Okay, so apparently, as a teenager, he just could not sit still, and so they called him the Flea because <laughs> he just couldn't. <laughs> sit He's moving around all the time. And I actually I like Mike B the Flea even better, so I'm going to start calling him that Mike B the Flea. Might be the flea. Yeah, yeah. you can roll with do that. You, do you know what instrument he started out playing? I I imagine you're going to tell me that, Captain. Sousaphone. Oh, trumpet. Yeah, ah. he, he was a, he was a huge Ooh, trumpet, trumpet fan, and he was a huge like jazz fan. And I don't think he really got into like punk and rock till he met. Uh, he re- I guess he went to high school with Anthony Kiedis, and that's where he started to get involved in more of that kind of funk and punk and rock. Um, but yeah, he really loved jazz, which I thought was probably where he has a lot of that talent, knowing a lot of the jazz bass kind of themes and stuff. Yeah. yeah he Excellent. actually play, he plays a jazz trumpeter in the movie Lowdown. There you go. See, another movie. Yeah. He's a <laughs> movie star. Dude, his acting career is almost as successful as his uh, music career. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Excellent pick there, Mr. B with the flea, Mr. B with the flea. And I'll tell you what, there were two bass players that I knew would be on someone's list and flea was one of them just because, and and I say that it's deservingly. So I think that if you went into a room of a hundred people and asked them this same question, you're going to hear the name flea time and time again, because he's just, he's just so well known for being excellent at, at his craft. I saw, Chili Peppers live once and Mr. Flea took to the microphone to tell us a story twice during their set. And uh, 
I'll just say he's quite the storyteller as well. I don't want to go too far into yeah. detail. Well, but. and I think, I mean, as we're kind of talking about this, I mean, kind of a preface is there's so many things you could judge what makes a great bass player, you know, talent, skill. But part of it is he's quite skilled, but he's, he's lucky to play in a band that's also commercially successful. I mean, if you really think a lot of the great bass players, usually people either don't know their name or they're, you know, I mean, jazz isn't always played on the radio. So I think he kind of hit in that sweet spot of, you know, you can flip the radio on and you're going to hear a Red Hot Chili Pepper song and you're going to hear some great bass playing. So kudos yeah. to that. And Flea always seems like he makes lists for top bass players of the mm-hmm. century or decade or whatever. He always makes his name on one of those lists. And I swear, growing up on Bass Player Magazine, he was on the cover once. You know, you only get to hit the cover 12 times a year. He was on there once every single year. So yep. uh, Agreed. he's he's an iconic bass player. Excellent pick. Mark, let's move on to you, buddy. Uh, who is Absolutely. your number three? So for number three, I'm going to roll with a gentleman named Leslie Edward Claypool, otherwise known as Les Claypool. So, the first time I heard Primus was probably in high school, and I just remember the very first time my buddy put it on. Obviously, he's been around for, for you know a lot longer than that, but the first time I heard a Les Claypool or a Primus song come on, I'm pretty sure it took me like five minutes to get my jaw pulled up off the floor because I was just completely floored. Um, the guy is just, you know, obviously Primus and, and him himself is kind of known for a lot of slap bass, a lot of like um, whammy bar bends and, you know, tapping and different kinds of styles that he uses. Um, but the guy's just super inventive and there's not a lot of bass players that can carry the song, not to say carry the song, is almost the most important instrument above all else on yep. a ton of songs, right? Not like it's like one song where he stands out. It's like, no, the bass is the primary instrument. The other guys are behind him. He's, <laughs> like, the, he's the whole song sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he is the guy, right? I've been, so, trying, to, I've been trying to do that in bands for years. <laughs> I know. I keep holding you down. <laughs> no, so, I mean, he was born back in 1963 in California. So he is not an Australian. But um, we'll but he's it. been in a ton of stuff. I mean, he was in Primus. He had a super group, Oysterhead, um, which was alongside one of the guys, Trey from Fish, um, Stuart Copeland from The Police. And, um, you know, he had another one called Colonel, or, uh, Colonel Claypool's Bucket of Bernie Brains. Say that 10 <laughs> times fast. Ah. <laughs> um, where he played with Buckethead who is extremely talented, Brian Mantia from Primus and then Bernie Worrell from P-Funk. Um, but the guy just, he's got so many different styles. And if you look at, um, our, you know, the research team looked up some of his influences as a bass player itself. Um, he started when he was 14. So, I mean, the guy started at a super early age and he's named off quite a few different influences that he had, like Getty Lee, Paul McCartney, Geezer Butler, Bootsy Collins, you know, just small small names that uh, that he followed but um but yeah Les Claypool just sticks out I mean he's one of those guys that just jumps out of a out of the speakers at you as a bass player and uh, yeah he rocks it and I believe Primus was the first band to have a full-length album out on Interscope 
Oh, yeah, I think that's nugget. right. Hey, deep track. Very nice. Captain. Absolutely. I knew what I knew we asked you to be on the show for a reason. It was those deep tracks. And Interscope, I mean, they they t- took some chances on quite a few bands, especially in like the the rock world. Um, it's a good call, Captain. That's a good find. Excellent pick there, Mark. Yeah. Do you have do you happen to know the bass that Les Claypool primary plays? I Captain might know it, but you know it, Mark? I do not. Carl Thompson bass. What is it? Carl Thompson Captain? bass. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Those are like really expensive. <laughs> Well, I, I would imagine when you hopefully when doesn't smash your, them on stage. Yeah, when you're uh, that level of craft, I mean, you spending seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars on a bass is probably okay. Yeah. Well, and you also deal. forgot that he did a theme song, which is really cool. That is true. That is true. Uh, you South want to Park. Uh, South Park? South Park. Yep. Touche. That's right. Absolutely. I forgot about that. Yeah. Which I, you know, Andy did. Uh, so he had a song on the uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack. Yeah. So Jerry was a race car driver, which I played that game way more than probably was healthy. <laughs> Should have been studying. It's <laughs> a great and, game. And uh, they actually, the band was also featured in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. So yeah, they played the second Tommy greatest the movie our, of our generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Says the research so, team. That's yes, right. That, that's per that's research team. Well, in a place that three of us on this uh, incredible meeting have been to, Barley Hopsters has mm-hmm. a pinball machine, a Primus pinball machine yes. that the captain really? has seen and witnessed. And it has Les Claypool nice. there too stole the show on the pinball game because he is up front and center and it's it's tripped out as one would expect and the speakers on that pinball machine might be the best that I've ever heard on yes. any pinball now, That one was fun when we played it a while back. That's awesome. Excellent pick there, Mark. He's another one I suspected we would hear his name and you also referenced mm-hmm. another individual that I won't repeat that I expect to hear his name maybe again <laughs> later today. Captain, you are up. I'm anticipating this one. Uh, As your number I. three there, Mr. Captain. All right. So my number three, I'm starting with a lady of the base world. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Queen B, I will call Ooh, her. with a lady. Um, Carol Kay. Yes. And quality, quality pick. She, um, you know, she played on La Bamba. She played with the Righteous Brothers. She played with Sonny and Cher and Cher herself. Frank Sinatra, Simon and Garfunkel. She played on the boots. You know, these boots are made for walking. Uh, wow. She played with Joe Cocker and Tina Turner. She played with the Beach Boys, Stevie Wonder, and she, I think she's played on more than this, but I can confirm that she played on the Batman theme song. So basically what you're saying, Captain, is a a bunch of local bands, who she played with. (laughs) (laughs) She played. (laughs) The Beach Boys, I mean, I I don't even know who those guys are. They've never heard of them. Never heard of them. (laughs) She played on Hawaii Five-0, and then she played on the Dirty Harry theme as well so was she a session player or did she actually like was she a part of those bands so she was a part of and you know in motown um you know motown had their group of guys but in la there was a group called the wrecking crew great documentary that's worth watching if you haven't seen it yeah very cool and Hmm. what's cool about carol k is she not only played bass but she also played guitar so like i just gave you a list of what she did as a bass player 
but her list as a guitar player is just as long. Wow. And I, it's, it, I love that you picked that captain. Cause that's one that was one I had looked at a lot of, but yeah, a, the fact that she was a woman at that time. And I mean, there was something I heard some statistic, like she had played in something like 10,000 recordings or something. Yeah. Some astronomical thing. I mean, just amazing. I mean, that's how good you have to be where they're like, bring her in. She's going to nail it in two takes. And I mean, she, Shit, how many, you know, awesome songs are, is she on? I just, I love that pick, buddy. Yeah, well, and to go back to your Flea pick, what what I found interesting about most of my picks is the amount of musicians that they played with, where, like, Flea mm-hmm. also played on Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill record. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Which is a huge, you know, top 20 record of all time. Oh, yeah, that thing was crazy popular in the 90s. But, Another good documentary on her that uh, is out there. It's worth watching. Yeah, yeah, I really like that one. Um, but yeah, she's just this. She looks like your grandmother, and yeah. she <laughs> just plays up these even really vi- cool bass lines. <laughs> look, look That's amazing. Up. Like she even has <laughs> videos now, and like if you see her, you're like, "What am I watching here?" And you're like, "You're watching one of the greatest bass players ever," and you're like. Feel like she's gonna go make some cookies and then uh, yeah. watch murder <laughs> she wrote. Tea. But she, I mean, imagine the some golden she, girls. She's probably saw some badass stuff. You know, she oh, was born God. in like the 30s or something, so she probably saw some cool stuff. Well, and what's so cool if you watch her online, she'll just be holding a bass and she's playing some like awesome bass line that you've heard a million times. You're like, oh my, you know that that's the Beach Boys good vibration bass line. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's her. And then she starts playing something else. And you're like, that's also you. And then yeah. she's like, and they told me to play this, but I changed it to this. And you're like, that's also you. Like, it's just her imp- improv skills are through the roof. I mean, yeah. which is the reason, I mean, she was part of that wrecking crew. I mean, they just would bring these group of musicians in. They just knock it out of the park. Well, so I'm I'm known to do some confessions on this show. So I'm going to pull one out now. I had never heard of her until right now. And the stuff that you just rattled off, Captain, like, that's insane, man. Like, that is so many hit songs that she was a part of. That's crazy. And I can absolutely see why you picked her. I mean. Yes. Yeah, that that was probably the big one that sold the most. (laughs) Yeah, most people don't know her name. And most people don't know of the Wrecking Crew because they were uncredited musicians. I mean. Well, there's there's a scene where she goes into a studio that she worked at you know, a thousand times. And she just wants to take this camera crew in to show them the studios and they, the receptionists won't let her in. And I'm like, <laughs> you idiots, you don't understand. Do you know like, who that is? The legacy of this lady. And she comes back out. You no, know, she's probably in her sixties or seventies at this point. And she was like, um, she says something like, I, I, like I built that studio, <laughs> like <laughs> all my songs built that studio. You wouldn't be here without me. <laughs> but it's like true. Yeah. Like most people, oh, very true. You know, can't say that. Yeah. Now That's I'll awesome. say this: I I had heard her name and knew of her and some of her work, but you look up her discography and it will blow the top of your head off. Oh. Uh, it's, it's everyone unreal. from the fifties, sixties, and seventies she has jammed with. But you know, there's a guy out there who has an incredibly high standard of the musicians that he chooses to put around him. 
because he has had that ability. Very few people can pick and choose the way that this man can. And, and for him to select her is like, it's, it's like calling in the, uh, uh, a job reference, like of the highest degree, right? She was on Neil Young's, uh, debut album. And uh, we all know how picky he is about musicians. So to to land that spot, well, that's all you need to know. Plus all of the fine things that you gentlemen said about her. Great pick, uh, Carol yes. Kay for the captain. And you know what? I got to admit with you guys, I'm a little embarrassed here to be revealing my picks because you gentlemen are real musicians. I'm just uh, a wannabe, uh, but I'm happy to be in your company. And so nonetheless, I will give you the big Nick pick for number three here. And we love you, big Dick. We love you. So it's not like you just sit around slicing onions, man. You, you got a base. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I've been known to do both at the same time. Exactly. Sometimes they're all tied. Talented. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be able to play a mean bass riff, but I can cook you up a, a mean spaghetti and meatballs. Mm, um, sounds good. All right. For my number three pick, I'm going to go with um I'll go with Michael Anthony. And he's played in a little band that's known as Van Halen, the mighty Van Halen. A little never band. heard I've never heard of him, but I've yeah, I, shirts. I know. I'll <laughs> I'll send you I'll send you a song or two of theirs. Was um, it Van Malen? I think I think you'll dig them. Um, but Michael Anthony for me is when I think of bass players, he's might be the first one that pops in the old P brain here. Uh, I one I love is stage presence, and of course, just the catalog with Van Halen alone is pretty extensive you know he's been through it all he's seen it all and one of my favorite things about the old mighty van halen was they used to say uh when they had a concert that would play in town it was like the circus came to town they would take over that area for about two or three days and all the freaks would come out and his stage presence was this especially during the 80s, they had this bit that they would do because they would come out and play for a solid two hour two and a half hour set you know, you, you, you would see, a, and you three musicians know how difficult it is to go out there and play for two and a half straight hours. So they would do this thing where they would each take turns where they would be the only man from Van Halen on the stage at a time, giving the other three guys a break. So essentially you're getting three breaks. Each member's getting three breaks throughout that long set. And so there would be a drum solo with uh, Alex and, of course, Eddie. If you go to a Van Halen concert and you don't get a, a solo presence of Eddie on stage, you're 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 leaving and going. I'm never going back again. And even when they had uh, David Lee Roth, he would often go out and do some storytelling or uh, do Ice Cream Man by himself with an acoustic guitar. So they had that showmanship, but but Michael Anthony wasn't lost on him, right? He would he would have the bass solo, and one thing that he did that was. Uh, part of his routine that the crowd loved was he would sip straight from a Jack Daniels bottle during the set. And at some point in the career, he had a, the Jack Daniels base where it was a, a, a rectangle body or a square body. And it was the label, the Jack Daniels label. Now I don't, I'm not a big Jack Daniels drinker, but I always thought it was cool that he would do that for the show. And another part that I love about the old Michael Anthony is you guys remember the video Pound Cake, right? This is now Sammy Hagar, uh, Van Hagar, uh, some would call it. But in the video 
pound cake in the song, he says, you take the average guy. And in the video, Sammy points right at Michael Anthony, like he's the average guy. He's, you know, he's not the superstar that is a member of Van Halen. And I thought that was cool. And and Michael Anthony's personality, he doesn't have an ego. He doesn't need somebody to tell him that he's important. He knows who he is. He knows what he's about. And he knows that he can hang with any of these guys. And so he doesn't mind being called an average guy. I think Michael Anthony for me is, is one of, uh, one of my favorite bass players. Well, what a great quality he has to be able to sing backups because the backups in Van Halen are so underappreciated. And the fact that he, like, that's a really hard thing to do is keep the time of the bass, but also sing. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. I think anytime you're trying to sing and play an instrument at the same time, you got to be able to process two parallel melodies in your head you know, and not mess either of them up. So that's, that's definitely tough to pull off. Yeah. I, I very much agree on that, Captain. It's something I wish I could do better because it's, it's always underappreciated, but when you hear an album with and without the backing vocals, it's a whole different scenario. So great pick there, big Nick. Thank you, gentlemen. We are banging these babies out. So let's move Ooh. into our second round. That brings us back around to you, Mr. B with the number two. Well, being the Cincinnati man that I am, I'm going to go with a, a young individual named William Earl Collins, also known as Bootsy Collins. That's my number two. Yes. Bootsy, baby. It's Bootsy, baby. <laughs> and like, so again, Big Kid Research Team is on it because I, I know of Bootsy Collins, I know of his work, but when they started to dig into the stuff, all right, so just to start this off, already a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 97. Um, in 2020, the Rolling Stone magazine ranked uh, Bootsy Collins the number four bassist of the 50 greatest bassists of all time. I mean, think of that list of people, and he got number four. But what I love is, so um, this was kind of a deep track. I, I knew a little, but I, I kind of found more about was um, he had formed a funk band called the Pacemakers back in 68. And around 1970, James Brown's band quit over a money dispute. So they hired the Pacemakers, which was Bootsy Collins and some other fellas, to play. And they called them the JBs, right? So at the time, I think Bootsy Collins was like 19 years old. And he's playing with James Brown, the most badass dude of funk ever. He just, you know, yes. he's the, yeah, he's the king, king of soul, right? And some of the tracks that they were, they only worked together for like 11 months. But uh, Get Up, I Feel Like Being a Sex Machine, just that song alone. Play that in the morning and tell me you're not going to have a good day at work. <laughs> um, Bewildered, Super Bad, Soul Power, Talking Loud and Saying Nothing. I mean, th- those are all tracks that uh, Bootsy Collins did with James Brown over that course of 11 months. They also How played awesome all, the, the Hot Tub song. Yeah, I mean, too hot in the hot tub. <laughs> and so, I mean, just that alone, I, if I just stop there, that's why he's my number two. Just the fact that he rocked these badass songs with James Brown. And then, of course, he went on to then become a major member in the Parliament Funkadelic, which just listen to any of those songs and yeah, tell me you're not going to have a pick. good day after listening to that stuff. I mean, the it's just enormous the amount of awesomeness that is. Bootsy Collins. Well, and then so, on top of 
him playing with P-Funk, how many songs were sampled of his later yeah. hip-hop songs? Oh, yep. tons. And, and and maybe not even hard, able to even be tracked because he had such funky bass lines. I mean, I just – I actually – he's another one that when we first discussed this topic, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'll pick him. And as the research came out, I was like, oh, my God, this dude's got a stellar career of stuff that is almost overlooked. Well, he definitely wins best dressed baseball. Oh, dude. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So it's it's funny. He actually had a there's a, a brewery that I love here in Cincinnati. Oh, uh, yeah. Called buddy. Fretboard Brewing Company. And they actually released Bootsy Brewski, which mm-hmm. is a IPA. And he actually came down for the release. And I was actually at that release that they had. And it it was it was sweet. And it's a delicious beer. So that's a classic win-win hey, right there. Bootsy doesn't put his name on no crap beers, man. Come that's on. That's right. Well, Fretboard doesn't make any crap beers. So we're <laughs> he trusted the right guys to uh, to make his brewski. So, but, yeah, so- uh, that's an awesome pick. He was definitely on my um, honorable mention list. So way to scratch one of those off, Mr. B. Yeah, and, and it, it kind of helps. He's a, I mean, he's still really active in Cincinnati. Um, so, yeah. yeah, Bootsy Collins. And just a lot of people don't realize how much he did in the 70s and 80s that probably affected music now. I mean, you probably could even figure it out, but he just, he, he functified a lot of things. Functified. <laughs> Yes, he did. He he functified your number two pick there. Bootsy Collins. (laughs) Good job there, Mr. B with the Bootsy. Mark, hit us with the number two, with the dose. Number two. Well, Mr. B stole my thunder from Mr. Balzari, and that would be our our friend Flea as my number two choice. So I think Flea (laughs) is just too good to leave off of this list. Um, Mr. B, I think we covered a lot of it in the beginning, so I don't have too much to add. But um, he he was involved in some super groups. Um, You know, there's quite a few different super groups. Adams for Peace, uh, Pig Face, Rocket Juice in the Moon, you know, all well known and uh, he played with bands like mars volta johnny cash uh tom waits i know captain mentioned alanis morissette young mc so and i love some mars volta so good choice on that he also played with jane's addiction yes 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 and one movie that we left off that was just a it's really a classic (laughs) movie that probably should be inducted um is son-in-law with Polly shore so i mean let's let's not forget the classics here guys we we don't have to leave them off just because they're classics so and and the only other standout (laughs) thing that i always thought was hilarious was 99 woodstock flea coming out in the complete nude to play yep. his set with the Red Hot Chili yep. Peppers. I mean, so I think there's a reason Flea's so well-known. It's because he's a little keep, out there. Yeah, you can't keep clothes on that guy. I mean, if you see no. him with a shirt and pants on, something's wrong. Yeah, at the minimum, he's shirtless. If not, he's wearing a sock on his junk, and that's it. So Flea is going to be in the old old people home, and they're going to be like, this man will not keep his clothes on. Yeah, <laughs> they'll, they'll be doing activity time. He'll be jump on the piano, slapping bass, and wearing a sock on his junk just going nuts so like flea just teabag that wheelchair <laughs> what, are <we> doing? <laughs> what are we doing here put some pants uh, on flea well, hey, if, if there was no booty collins there would be no yeah. flea you know that's exactly that's true, true. I mean, that's and true. it's one that if you look at these guys like flea 
with the references of people that inspired him. I mean, yeah, Boosie Collins is on most people's lists. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's great pick, buddy. Glad you followed it up and yeah. stop looking through my window and looking at my picks, man. Well, I can't help myself. I think that's the beauty, though, of like, I mean, and you get this with any musician. And really, I think you get this across even beyond just music, right? Any any um, artistic category. But greats of a certain genre create other greats of that exactly. genre, right? So that's yeah. the beauty of it. So that's and what one, I got. I got Mr. Flea. And one movie Bill. that we keep missing from flea <laughs> is the outsiders from 1983 ah, yes um which how, how did he get in that movie isn't that before <laughs> like the the chili peppers are even famous how did he get a lot of the i wonder if he just showed up at auditions no, you, you guys are missing another one then so do you guys remember this is a deep track the movie called the chase yeah and yeah, him, and, the him and Anthony Kiedis are like driving a big truck. They're like, we're going to run them off the road. Yeah. With Martin Sheen, not Martin Sheen, Charlie Sheen. Charlie. Yes. Chaz Sheen. Yeah, that's and, right. And I, I do I, remember I, that. I think, Erica uh, Linnea was yeah. the... Uh, Flea might have been nominated for an Oscar for that film. I don't think he won, but he was nominated for a supporting actor. He was at the ceremony. Hopefully, wore pants. He was wearing three socks that night. Oh, that's good. All right, Mark. Here we go with the flea. And you know, I love when we have a name that hits more than one list because I think it's just justification that they should be on the list and maybe should be on everybody's list. All right. With that said, now we go to the captain for his number two pick. All right. My number two pick is Pino Palladino. Oh, probably not a household name to most people, but here's, here's his list. I was thinking he was a fine wine. He sounds like a wine. <laughs> he's tastes delicious. He's, <laughs> he's the number one, uh, wine bass player. <laughs> on this list okay so he's played with uh he's become really popular lately because he's played with john mayer but he's played with jeff beck don henley david gilmore elton john eric clapton the who simon and garfunkel ed sharon michael mcdonald adele i mean once you once you're on an adele record you're just one yep. of the biggest of all time keith richards so, uh, uh, Captain, you know about how old he is? I mean, I'm assuming he's up there in age to, to have that span of a career. Yeah. I um, His first big hit was with Paul Young. Do you remember Paul Young? That he's name a, sounds familiar. He's like a British soul singer. Um, Pino. So, so I looked probably, Pino up. He's 64. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I, just, I, I would assume he was in his 60s, maybe or 70s, but... Which you're right. You're like, oh my goodness. So the, you you hear the captain rattle off that list, and you're like, this guy must be 170 years old. He's played with everybody, and <laughs> and I, I'm sitting here looking at this list, and I mean the the impressive names just continue on and on and on here. Well, and as uh, that, like musicians, like jazz musicians and and like funk musicians, one of the records that really changed things was D'Angelo's Voodoo which had like quest love on it but the bass player was pino and then really from that moment everybody was like that is the definition of like new funk you know like the new version of like bootsy um and he's just 
he's just played on a million <laughs> records. Yeah, and and I, you said it right, Captain. It's one of those things where that's not a household name. I mean, unfortunately, bass players kind of always take a backseat to the artist, but like you, you remove his skill and style, and those songs might not be what they were, you know? Yeah. And did I did I say Nine Inch Nails? No, no, but, but that's, that's even cooler. I mean, his list yeah, right? is just so impressive. I'm sitting here looking at this, and I, I'm like, I need to cut in and shout out a couple names, but I don't know where to start or where to end, really, to be honest with you. Uh, Carly Simon, Phil Collins, uh, you know, Pete Townsend, and one, so of, one of my favorite musicians of all time, David Gilmore. Uh, he so, played. so he played with a bunch of hobos, is what you're saying. Right. Yeah, a bunch right. of nobodies. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of bottom with those guys. Yeah. And so, Captain, I, I have to admit that prior to me having the big kid research team dump all this research on me, I'd only really known him by name and not really familiar with like his body of work. But like you said, I mean, just that list, listen to some of those songs, you're like, yeah, this is this dude dropping bass lines left and right, just writing hits and probably unfortunately not getting any credit or probably getting a fraction of the pay, but you know, he made tons and tons of hits. Well, so yeah. So when he's played with Paul Young, uh, I think it was his big hit was, I, I don't know if Nick can find that. Uh, he had a big hit with Paul Young that if every, um, every time you go away, remember that song? Yep. Every time you go, you take a piece of me with you. So, so take a piece of meat with you. What's very interesting (laughs) about Pino is in the '80s he would play a fretless music man, and he would come up with these like really cool like lyrical parts. Well, he did it for Paul Young, and it was such a big hit that everybody, Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins. They would call him initially just to be like, we want you to do that thing that you did for Paul Young. <laughs> well, then eventually he switched. And, you know, like I said, he played with, you know, D'Angelo and other people. And his main bass became uh, a Fender P bass. All right. And as a mm. recording musician, like I probably was in my early 20s where somebody's like, do you have a P bass so you can do the Pino thing? And I'm like, What's the Pino what? thing? Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm not taking my pants off. I'm like, yeah, this is real weird. I don't know what the Pino thing is. So then I had to figure out. Well, what's the Pino thing? Okay, now I need to get a bass like this. And almost every session I ever play on, they'll say, "Oh, for this track, how about you play your P bass and do the Pino thing?" And like Pino actually has multiple things, but I know mm-hmm. what they're. Yeah, you know. you know the you know what they're trying to go after. Which he's again not a household name, but it's like as a guitar player, if somebody said to you, "Hey, do that Jimi Hendrix thing," you know, you'd go, "Okay, I kind of know what mm-hmm. ballpark you want me to be playing in." Yeah. Well, and fretless bass has to be—I don't know—fretless anything is difficult. I mean, you know, obviously I'm in the guitar world, but still, to to be able to play anything fretless is a, is a talent, and I think he. I think he played with the Who in the Super Bowl as yeah. well in 2010. So, yeah, the same as you, Big Nick. I, I hadn't really known a whole lot about him, but as you just look at, I uh, pulled up you know, who he's played with, and man, that is a list. <laughs> you know, and we say that he's not a household name, but 50 of the 100, 100 people he's played with 
are household names. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's a very impressive resume. Uh, and I think that maybe the album name you were looking for there, Captain, was The Secret of Association with Paul Young. He played, looks like he played on multiple Paul, Paul Young albums. So, very impressive resume. And uh, so I, I can speak for the cats and say, hey, Love your local band's bass player. Give them a little love. Yeah, yeah. They're doing a great <laughs> job. Yeah. Give them a hug or say, hey, man, wait to drop the low end. It goes Without a long the bass way. player, that band you love sounds like crap. They just sound like <laughs> a bunch of no tinny, tin, tinny assholes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great pick there, Captain. And for my number two pick, I'm going to go with uh, – a. A guy that plays bass for a band that I think that Mark cringes and loses a little more respect <laughs> for me every time I bring them up. But I'm going to go with Duff McKagan, uh, bass player for the Guns N' Roses. Duff. Yeah, the greatest rock and roll band of all time. And and he's been the bass player for the entirety of Guns N' Roses, or at least as long as Axl Rose would allow him to be. So uh, Duff McKagan, first off, I got to kick it off by saying everybody that is joining me here today has heard me say this at some point in our relationship together my favorite baseline of all time is duff's baseline from you could be mine from the terminator 2 soundtrack from the use your illusion 2 album guns and roses it's he starts off the song and he just rocks it the entire time i when i think of when I think of bass lines, that's the bass line that I want to hear over and over again. And this guy, too, let's not forget, you know, Axel kind of kicks him out of the band. And what does he do? Eh, eh, no big deal. I'll just go to school and become a CPA. I like numbers, you know. I'll, just, I'll, I'll become do, a I'll, certified I'll uh, accountant. Yeah, no big deal. I'll, I'll play the bass while doing your taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, he's like, I see all these people that made a whole bunch of money just wasting their money and doing nothing with it. He's like, I thought maybe I should take some time and learn about that and learn how I can make my money work for me. And then he started making other people's money work for them. And then another weird wait, thing. Wait a too, second. Hang on. I have an, a business idea. Captain, bass playing tax situation. <laughs> I, mean, I think I think we might have something there, Captain. Like, I'll let you play bass. I'll do taxes. We'll we'll charge like a ten percent up fee. Oh my God, that's that's a business, right? Yeah, or you could be like a guitar playing sous chef, chopping. Yeah, however, however you want to do it. But I, I kind of like the bass playing tax uh, tax man. Bam, 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 bam. Oh, you're gonna owe twelve hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Got you a refund of thirty five bucks. Sorry, well, Nick. Go ahead. No, you're fine, man. Duff was uh, born and raised in Seattle, Washington. And for that, uh, that was something that uh, made Kurt Cobain seek out Duff McKagan and ask him for advice early in his career when he was trying to make it out in Los Angeles. And one little weird thing here before, sadly, before Kurt Cobain passed away, the two of them happened to sit next to one another on a plane back to Washington. And so Duff, unfortunately, has been asked that many times, you know, what was Kurt's state of mind? What did you guys talk about? How did he seem to you? You knew him for a while. And, you know, Duff says, you know, I, I didn't know him real well, but everything seemed to be seemed to be fine. He didn't seem to be uh, in a bad 
bad place when I spoke with him. But yeah, I, I've always had a lot of respect for for Duff. Uh, he, he played in what's been referred to as the most dangerous rock and roll band of all time. And when things didn't go well with Guns N' Roses, he took lemon he took lemons and made lemonade right he played with uh, scott wyland and uh continued his career and he's had a very impressive career and uh he he is my number two love it big nick great pick buddy you apparently at least listen to a little bit of bass so good job i i own an album or two um mm-hmm. all right that brings us to the the round that counts the most right oh yeah uh, the first and final round, the number ones of all four here on the Big Kids Show. Mr. B, who is your number one bass player of all time, oh. your favorite? And so, again, research team bringing the thunder here. I'm going to go with one that I think maybe the captain will have heard of, but I'll be shocked if you guys have a Mr. James Jamerson. Mm. Would you call me? Yeah. <laughs> so, old Jimmy Jammers. Basically, anything you heard from Motown, this dude played. And so uncredited, it's like ridiculous. Like, they actually, they used to not credit musicians until like, I think it was like 71. So, this guy, you know, was on. I mean, there's, here's some of the numbers here. Uh, let's see. He played on 23. Billboard Hot 100 number one hits, 23 number one hits. Wow. So think of that. And then 56 R&B number one hits. So just do the math on wow. that. Yeah. Yeah, I played with um, the Jackson 5, The Temptations. Oh, you, you, have, you have to hear the list of people that he's this guy played with. So the Temptations, The Supremes, Stevie Wonder, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Marvin Gaye, The Four Tops, John Lee Hooker, Jackie Wilson. Um, just, I mean, this guy, like, I think anyone that plays jazz and kind of funky bass or whatever, if you don't think that James Jamerson created it, you're stupid. Well, and like when I was telling you, when people ask for the Pino thing, well, the Pino thing is really just the James Jamerson thing. Yeah. It it just went back even another decade. Yeah. Because James Jamerson was born in 36. Unfortunately, he passed away in uh, 1983 from, uh, he was a very heavy drinker. Severe alcoholic. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Severe alcoholic would be the nice way to play it. But he also, uh, like Captain was talking about earlier, he uh, eventually switched to playing the P bass. But uh, there's a couple funny little facts here. I mean, like, just you can even just research this guy's catalog of songs. There's like some statistic mm-hmm. I saw that they said at one point he played with pretty much on every Motown album. Like, if it came out of Motown in that time period, he was probably on the album at one song or another. I mean, that's just ridiculous to think about that. Well, and he's the same way with Flea, where he would whatever his first part was in verse one, it'd be different in verse two. Yep. But also just the way Motown worked was sometimes you were rehearsing the song, playing through it one time and then going, cool, hit, hit record. And they're all <laughs> recording in the same room. So whatever happened, happened. Yeah. yeah. But also made- there's a whole section of bass players that one spend their whole life learning jamerson baselines mm-hmm. because he was a severe alcoholic there's also like really famous um 
Motown hits like um you know the song I Want You Back. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Which which everybody thinks is a Jamerson song, but he actually was so drunk that day that the saxophone player had to play the bass line. Well um, so and, it's and it's fu- it's funny you bring that up, Captain. There's actually there's a story I saw of um because he was getting popularity, uh Marvin Gaye was like trying to find him to do um what's going on. Yeah. Look and, in the bar. Like, they like they know they were like searching the area. They found him. He was so drunk to record it, they he recorded laying on his back. Yeah. Oh, like wow. like he couldn't stand up. But so when you guys hear the recorded version of Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, James Jamerson is rocking that thing, laying on his back, pretty hammered. Covered in piss. Just yeah, <laughs> probably not looking great, but uh, probably his best day. Yeah. I mean, obviously you hate to see that with a talent like that, but this guy, I mean, just some of the like I actually found some bass players who mentioned that Jamerson was like basically their influence. Paul McCartney, Getty Lee, Marcus Miller, John Itzwizzle, Sting, John Paul Jones, Flea. Victor Wooten, Flea, uh, Jacko Pistorius, uh, even your boy you talked about, uh, Captain, Jack Bruce, Bootsy Collins, Jason New. I mean, just the list is through the roof. This guy, I mean, on multiple lists, he's the greatest bass player of all time just because of how he, he was one of the first guys that transitions from stand-up bass to electric bass, too. When he, so you kind of have you, you put him in the same category as like a Pino Palladino, yeah, and um, like Carol Kay, where they they might not be torn with a bunch of people, but they played on thousands and thousands of records. Yeah, I mean he was he was part of like uh, the Funk Brothers, and they they actually called it the Snake Pit. So when Motown was recording, it's pretty much like yeah, you bring in James Jamerson, he's going to do your baseline. And I actually. I was familiar of him until, you know, the research team brought me on stuff and I was like, oh my God, this guy's bass lines are just awesome. I mean, just, just ridiculously good. So clearly he's my number one. I mean, he's without him, we probably wouldn't have a lot of the bass stuff we hear now. So James Jamerson, he's the man. Jimmy J- pick. And I'm guessing it, it looks like Paul McCartney is the only person to the only bass player to play on more number one hits than jamerson yes that's and if you're going to lose to somebody that's the guy you want to lose to right yeah and 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 what's i mean what's so sad about is like i mean they these guys were uncredited so that's the thing that's that's why bass players are not a household name because i mean he wasn't even getting credit till like the 70s of he was on all of these massive hits and that's the that's the sad thing about Motown, right? There's I feel like there's a lot of these names mm-hmm. that are just kind of lost in the shuffle because of one because it was so long ago, but two, it's just it was willy nilly, right? You found somebody that did something well, and maybe they weren't really part of the actual band, like the captain was saying. But when it came to a, a, a session, a studio session, he, there's nobody better. To find than this guy, obviously. Oh, yeah. You got you, Marvin prob- Gaye driving around knocking on bar doors, going, Hey, 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 James, you in there? James, you in there? Uh, can we get you to take a break for a minute, buddy, and, and record some music and we'll, we'll drive you right back here. Next round's on me. And then, <laughs> yes, uh, he played on My Girl with the, um, uh, the, the Temptation. So, or, so, I mean, we're talking about really big big songs and big names that this guy played with anybody that plays with Stevie wonder, by the way, has my respect 100%. Yeah. 
Well, and, and the, the captain has to hear this because it's probably going to hurt him. So some of these bases that he played, which I'm sure – yeah, I'm sure like a guy they would just be awesome to have. So don't first, say them because he will get on Sweetwater right now and well, order one. He's not gonna be able to find these. So his first electric <laughs> base was a 1957 precision base. It was it was black with gold pickguard and everything. They actually called it Black Beauty, and that was stolen. Okay, so he replaced it with another precision base in the early 60s. That was stolen. <laughs> and then, so in '62, he got a Fender Precision Bass, which again, '62, it was the three-tone one that I think most people see as pictures of. Right, and that was stolen just days before his death in 1983. So somebody has like these massive like music icon instruments, and but let's be real, and, they probably weren't stolen. He probably sold them. I fell asleep. Uh, like, they, they they could be, but I mean, they were they, the, at least the report I saw was they were stolen. So what if they were stolen them? by the same guy each time? The <laughs> well, guy he's like, me, I'm a collector. Let me Tabs find them. them. I'm gonna thump him in the head. So <laughs> James Jamerson, just listen to yourself. Some James Jamerson. Actually, if you guys have Spotify or you know iTunes or whatever, just type in James Jamerson, and a, a list of his tracks will actually come up because he's the man. Bring the thunder. So I have a couple real bass players on in the show today. So I, I have to ask this. What is a double bass? Is that like a double guitar, it's like, like a two-necked bass? bass? Oh, it's an upright yeah. bass. It's a, yeah, yeah okay. upright bass for double bass. Same thing. Okay. So James Jamerson actually was an upright bass player. I've only ever heard it called upright bass. So when I see the word double yeah. bass, my mind gets confused. Didn't you play the upright bass? And I he did. Played the I double never bass. called it a <laughs> double bass. In fact, I played the upright bass, but uh, I, I'm pretty convinced that the teacher wanted me to quit, quit the class as quick as possible. So, Vic uh, just called it the stand-up stringy thing. That's right. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'll play the big guy over there. <laughs> all right, James Jamerson, great pick. Mark, your number one bass player of all time, please. So you actually mentioned him, Big Nick. I think... To me, you know, it's one thing, as Mr. B had mentioned earlier, there's different like things that could qualify you as the greatest bass player. And one of it is obviously individual talent. But to me, I think it's more of a collective. It's the bass player and what he's able to do with the people around him. And I think unquestionably one of the best to ever do it is Sir James Paul McCartney. Yes. So, you know, Captain, he plays with a pig. <laughs> well, he's left handed, so it doesn't count. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, left handed pig players are just uh, nope. something's wrong with those people. Yep. So, you know, he was born uh, back in 1942 in uh, Liverpool. Um, he, uh, he gained a lot of his worldwide fame, you know, obviously with the Beatles. Um, Who's that? Co- yeah. Who? It's the uh, thing you spray for underneath your uh, kitchen counter. <laughs> Um, co-lead vocalist, co-songwriter, um, and it's funny. I don't know if have any of you guys watched the documentary involving the Beatles. I, th- I want to say it's either on Apple TV or Disney, but it's like a six-part documentary on the recording of their last album. And it's well, it wasn't their last album. It was yeah. It was technically their second to last, but it was the last one released. True, true. It's a fascinating documentary. 
Like, I mean, it, it's, 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 I always enjoy like seeing the behind the scenes and kind of how the sausage is made when it comes to bands. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, it's a pretty interesting watch to see, you know, kind of how, how all that's done behind the scenes. I think but, it would be uh, really interesting to watch because it's towards the end. Obviously, yeah. like, it's like when they're like, it's not like when the Beatles broke up, it was a surprise to them. It was just a surprise to everybody else. But, yeah, but like especially in that documentary, it's like Paul's the leader. Paul's the one keeping it going and like trying to keep it yeah. on track. It'd be interesting to see what the dynamic was, like prior to on, like Rubber Soul or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, obviously, band dynamics always change. I mean, I always joke that bands are kind of like dysfunctional families. So it's, it it constantly changes. uh, You you shut up when you're talking to me. How well people get along. Don't you talk to me like that. (laughs) And in my experience, sometimes the dysfunctional family makes up most of the band. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And, and honestly that tension and that, you know, that's sometimes what it's makes not the always band a bad great. thing. It's yeah, it's, it's sometimes what makes you need the band great. I mean, you know, it, it, speaking of music, I know we've I've mentioned this movie before, but um, uh, Whiplash about the drummer. I don't know if you guys have seen that mm-hmm. movie, but mm-hmm. I mean, that teacher in that movie is insane. And obviously, jazz in and of itself is a very you got to be talented to play that stuff. But you need somebody crazy sometimes to pull the the greatness out of you. So, but I mean, it, to talk about Paul McCartney. He's written or co-written 32 songs that have topped the Billboard 100. And is that good? I think it's decent. <laughs> it, it lags behind my number one hits, you know, personally. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Hey, the, the big um, kid research team says yes, that is good. Yeah. Good. 25 million plus. He's been inducted into the Hall of Fame twice, twice into the Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Once for the Beatles in 88, and then as a solo artist in 99. Like, how talented do you have to be to get inducted twice into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, you know, you have to be more talented. You have to get in there three times. <laughs> That's actually a good trivia question for our listeners, if anybody knows if there ever has been someone that's gotten in three times. Hmm. Wow. But he won an Academy Award, 18 Grammy Awards, and he was uh, made a knight in 1997. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no big deal. The guy's a knight. Um, he's probably one of the wealthiest musicians in the world. When you say it, that. yeah, That's right, Sir Paul McCartney, Sir. But you know, I mean, he was a good bass player. He also obviously played guitar, piano. But they said he played like forty plus instruments. I mean, there was there was an album where he took over the drums for Ringo when he so. I mean, played the drums. It's <laughs> it, the guy is just insanely talented, well, and, and, and obviously at bass you know, being one of those insane talents. Was he, and I might not, I might be wrong, but didn't he kind of do bass by default? Yeah. So Stuart Sutcliffe left the band in 1961 and McCartney was kind of reluctant to take it over, but he ended up taking over bass duties for him. So, I mean, I, I, as me being a bass player, that's what happened to me. I was like, you're a bass player. A blaze player. A I was like, I was like, I was like, I want to play guitar too. And you're like, well, we already have one. And you're like, you're playing bass. And I'm like, this yep. is some bullshit. Bring that low end, son. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I, I and I'd be curious again. We could like go back to even like Carol Kay and some other people that just became bass players because of default. Like, yeah. like yeah. who else is going to play it? All right, I'll I'll do it. And 
I mean, that just shows their talent level that they were probably great guitar players. They're like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll do the bass too, which I think is just awesome. So, well, his net Absolutely. worth is roughly over a billion dollars. He's one of the first musicians to ever be a billionaire. That's not bad. Captain, do you have his email? Can we borrow some money? <laughs> <laughs> we need Captain, to make a sweet water Captain, run. <laughs> Captain, check your, yeah, check your, uh, uh, you know, uh, Check something and see if you guys DMs, roll a And, and I, w- I would also argue that Paul McCartney, uh, you know, conspiracy is was probably one of the biggest are they dead or alive conspiracies in the history of just mankind. Because there was that rumor for a while that Paul is dead. <laughs> and and well, it, it was you, such you a big a Paul McCartney. Robot? Yeah, there was a Paul is dead uh, thing for a long time. And and actually, well, I heard more recently, I heard a new Paul McCartney theory, which I think is worth exploring that Paul, in fact, is not dead. But uh, this comes from the Heat and Light podcast that says that they believe that at some point there was two Paul McCartney's on the planet and rather, rather than losing a paul hey, we actually I, gained a second one and there's been two ever since and one paul does certain things that the other paul does not do so that's why he's so prolific because he can there's two of him well the problem is you guys talked about it now we're all on some kind of list no but so. th- but think about this this was so big that i believe it was time magazine did a interview with him that said paul is alive like, yeah, <laughs> Time Magazine is doing. I think it was Time or Life Magazine. It was like a huge magazine company that came out with an article saying, "Nope, Paul is alive." Well, yeah, there's all those. You've ever seen the movie Multiplicity? We talked about that. Maybe he cloned himself, and uh... <laughs> there's all those Beatles clues of the Paul press. And... Yeah. Well, if he's got a billion dollars, then hell yeah, he's cloned himself. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> So yeah, that's great my number pick, one, gentlemen. Great pick, Mark. And I know my pops will be a fan of that choice because he's a big Beatles Hell fan. Yeah. So. Shout out to pops. Yeah. I'm going All right. To so we, we didn't quite figure it out. Either Paul is dead or there are two Paul McCartneys. But uh, regardless, one thing I do know is that uh, George Lucas owns a spaceship. So if this shit gets weird, he's getting <laughs> the hell out of here. That's the one thing I do know. Um, mm. All right. That brings us to the captain for his number one pick his Ooh, favorite bass player of all time and i'm looking forward to it captain yeah i just want to say this list is tough because like it's easy it would be easier to go like to separate the category because i think mm-hmm. carol k pino paladino uh, james Jamerson, guys that played on a ton of records it's like one set of skills and Agreed. then then guys like because they're almost like their craft is playing bass within a song. And then you got like the the Fleas and the Bootsy Collins and the Les Claypools where their craft is, you know, you can create a whole song around their, their lines. Does that make any sense? No, I know yeah. exactly what you're saying. Yeah, because there's, that's what I thought was interesting with this is there's kind of, you know, when you think of our top three, there's so many kind of nuances of is it technical ability? Is it a uh, number of songs? Is it long- longevity of career? I mean, yeah, I mean, you could take that a million different ways, Captain. So I love it. Yeah. And because if, if it was just 
artistry, like personal artistry, I don't think I'd have Pino or Carol on my list because they were like a team player. Like, mm-hmm. and, um, but so then my first person kind of contradicts my other picks is uh, Jocko Pastorius. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and Captain, I, I I strongly thought you might pick Jacko, but uh, yeah, he's legit. Yeah, he was just, and he also kind of did, like at one point he was in a band weather report, which was like a huge like touring stadiums, jazz, funk fusion thing. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he was also playing with Joni Mitchell, which was like one of the biggest pop stars of the day. And then he had his own solo records. And I think if he never got sick, that we, who knows what he would have done in the future. Exactly. But he was also just like the guy that like, he was one of the first bass players ever that people were like, every other bass player had to like bow down and go, I don't know what he's doing. I can't do what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, he he was like the Mozart of stuff he was doing on bass. Because even stuff I've seen when he was finally starting to rise, I'm like, oh my God, what is that? Like, it doesn't even, it almost doesn't make sense the things he's doing. Yeah, a lot of bass players view him as like the Jimi Hendrix of bass. Yes, that's, a, that's even a better example. Mm-hmm. Great pick, Captain. And I love that I'd never heard that before, Captain. The uh, the band that you referenced, Weather Report. I love what a cool name for a band, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, this guy is he, he's the bass player's uh, bassist, right? He's he's the one that we all aspire to kind of be. And you're right. I think you you hit the nail on the head there directly with the with and the I, kill shot of uh, he he's I, like I the Jimi that- Hendrix of bass players. Yeah, and I, and I think, uh, Captain, if correct me if I'm wrong, there's a documentary about him, and it might even be called Jocko, right? Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, if you just wanted to learn about him, that's a perfect way to do it. I mean, I think I watched it a, a few years ago, and I was like, just, just Im- impressed by well, everything. And I had a bunch of teachers growing up that actually got to meet him. and Oh, wow. So cool. the, the story of how he got discovered was he was playing in Florida and he's playing in all these bands and he was touring here and there, but didn't really like it. Wanted to be around his family. And it was, I think the drummer for, I can't remember the name of the, it was a drummer for a band. He, they were in town and they were playing at some like softball thing. And there was some cute girl and he went over to say hi. Uh, and, you know, and, Eventually, he's like, well, do you have a boyfriend? And she says, no, I'm married to Jocko uh, Pastorius III, the world's greatest bass player. <laughs> and the guy was like, well, have him bring the bass over to the the studio, you know, because he's not the best in the world, right? And the so Jocko goes over, opens up his bass, starts playing, and the guy's like, holy shit, he's the yep, best bass player are. in the world. <laughs> and then takes i think it was columbia records tells him hey you need to sign this guy and the 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 president of columbia or i think it was columbia records was a bass player and they just had jocko come in and just just sit down and play bass and the guy was like holy shit i don't know what to do with you and i and i don't think we're going to sell any records 
But yeah, it's one of those things of we know you're talented, but unfortunately, there's not a market for that kind of thing, especially at that time. It's, yeah, and he was he did all this like weird stuff with you know one of the first guys to use looping um, and performing, and and he also did like the Hendrix thing. He did a mm-hmm. America the Beautiful instead of uh, the national anthem, but but I also just like who knows what would happen. Like there, there would probably be no flea. There'd probably be no um, less Claypool. There would, there would probably be. I, I would even argue to say, like even like Michael Anthony and and oh, a lot of the people on our Duffy. list. You're exactly because like right. anyone, anyone after him. Yes, you're right because he just was so like because well, I think the experimental I, and yeah, I think everybody else would have fell into that Jamerson category where they're like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm just playing for the song. And he was the first guy that was like, no, I, I'm just going to play whatever I want to play. Like I, I am the song. Yeah. And, and I think that's the difference too, is like, because Les Claypool said this one time, I'm, I'm, he's just a musician. The bass is the paintbrush in which he's, or the tool or the vehicle that he has to use to create music. So like Les Claypool would have created music probably similar to what he created, but it just would have been on piano or guitar. You know what I mean? Like, so, so, so where I think Jocko, it's like, yeah, he played fretless bass, but I don't think it mattered. Like he was, he was still going to create all this stuff, whether he played guitar or drums or whatever. That is an excellent pick and certainly a name that we expected to see here on somebody's list. And I'm going to go with uh, Nick's the big Nick number one pick here. And I'm going to hit on something that all three of you guys already touched on today. The, the idea of where do we go with this list? You could take this any number of different ways here. And my first two picks, I went with, with bass players that had a, an extensive catalog, both of them backup vocalists, a vocalist in their own right, Duff McKagan singing lead vocals on several Guns N' Roses songs. But for my number one pick, I went with a guy that is known more for his overall artistry of his career, a little bit less of his actual bass playing. And he's better known as a guitar player, but he cut his teeth and made his way into the biz and into, uh, show business in general, not just the music business, but show business in general by playing bass for Buddy Holly in 1958. I'm going with Waylon Jennings, uh, extremely talented musician, extremely talented individual overall. Um, he's he's a, a, a member of one of the greatest super groups of all time in any genre, in my opinion, the Highwaymen, where he teamed up with Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash, and his best friend of all time, Willie Nelson. His catalog is incredibly impressive. He started off making his money, playing the bass, and we all kind of forget. I think a lot of people forget that he was not only the the writer and performer for the Dukes of Hazard theme song, but mm. he was also the narrator for the show for the entirety of the original version of it. So the man had plenty of talents to give to all of us. And uh, he's one of my favorite musicians of all time. And of course, 
my favorite bass player of all time. Well Waylon played, Jones. Big Nick. Yeah, I love it. Very dude. nice. And, and yeah. can I thank you guys for letting me be a part of this? Um, Absolutely. It, it, oh, Captain, dream you're come more true. Than welcome. Yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> top three highlights play- of my life. Top three. Yeah, base base players got to talk about base players. So you know. But I uh, and, and Captain, I I've seen you play and heard you play. You are a quite an amazing bass player yourself. So. I'm just I once was. Get, no, you, once you was. still are. Don't sell yourself short. And I, I love that we were able to have this discussion, man. So it's, it's I pretty do, awesome. I would like to give two honorable mentions. Yes, of um, course. That have we'll allow usually Mark has like 35, so we'll allow two. <laughs> well these two I, I can guarantee are not on Mark's list. But the, but they deserve respect because they've All changed right, the him, game give, of base forever. Give him the respect. The first one is Jonathan Wolf. Yes. He would play the keyboard bass for Seinfeld. <laughs> that, that was one of my honorable mentions, Captain. Yeah, see, Mark already had a Captain. I had him on my list as an honorable mention. Although it's funny, most people don't nice realize try. that he played keyboard for the Seinfeld parts. But yeah, there was no... <laughs> but the fact that... amazing bass parts, even if it is a keyboard. But the fact that he played them live and he changed them every yeah. week. People I think that video is, like of him doing it live and it was crazy. Well, like watching him do the Seinfeld stuff. Well, that's the thing is people think that it's the same song. It's like, no, every episode no. it's different. A little bit, yeah. you know? And yeah. then... My other one, maybe now I I can't trust myself with, with the list now. <laughs> I threw you off. Uh, you maybe this it. guy is on the top of your list, but he needs to be on the top. He's a guy that plays bass big time. He likes to slap at the bass. Slap at the bass, man. Paul Rudd. Slapping the bass, man. Slap at that bass, man. I slap at that bass. Oh yeah! Yeah! Yes! Awesome pick. Slap at the bass. <laughs> the greatest uh, cover band of um, uh, the Rush of all time. Yes, thank you. But it changed my life because <sighs> when a girl would want to approach you, they would have nothing to say. Like, well, oh, I, I like your bass playing. But once that movie came out, the amount of girls that would just come up and go, uh, you stop at the bass, play ba- bass big time, <laughs> you know, play big the bass time. big time. <laughs> big time. It was always a great, well, so you, you know. Hey, Captain, go back to your contacts, shoot Paul Rudd an email, <laughs> see if we get that hooked up too, but there you go. Hey, I love I have to hear uh, Yamo be there one more time. I'm going to Yamo <laughs> burn this place to the ground. <laughs> little classic Captain, Paul Rudd line yeah. there for you. Captain, I love those honorable Great mentions, choice. Buddy. Yeah. Love hey, it. Hey, Captain. So glad you're on the show, buddy. It was a good time. Absolutely. I do have one other honorable mention besides you shut uh, your mouth. <laughs> the Seinfeld guy, Jonathan Wolf. And that would be, he, he's, he's a little unknown, but I, th- I think he deserves some respect as well. And that would be Mr. B, who oh. plays in a band called Aseda and our old Thanks, band buddy. 2-Bit. One finger grip. Oh, put the shout out for Mr. B. I'm blushing a little bit. He, he's known to, <laughs> to put some some nice bass highlights right where it's needed and and keep that bass line funky and rolling. Thanks, buddy. That means a lot. Oh, I got it. oh I'm gonna. Well, have a the, the the captain is. I haven't one heard of the, Pat play. Otherwise, he probably would have made my list too. From what oh, I've heard, captain's but. way better than I am. So the captain is is one of the best <laughs> bass players I know. So it would have been silly to not ask him to join us for our 
top three bass players of all time. Absolutely. And we, we, we had a great group. I'll tell you what that I, if, if we got all of these individuals together, could you imagine all of the accolades and, and the albums group. sold by all of these individuals combined? So captain, we thank you for joining us here in the Treehouse today. It was certainly all of our pleasure and we hope that you'll come back some other time and see us again. Guys, this was a lot of fun and listeners out there like subscribe. Uh, We need you to help us out. Give us some good reviews. Hit us up on Twitter. See us next week. We are the big kids.